Good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you, David. Last week, as, as David says, we, we started this new series. Uh, paradoxology is a made-up word, I said last week. It consists of two words, paradox and doxology. It's, uh, it's also the title of this book by Chris Kandaya. Uh, it's a book that kind of sparked the idea for this series. It's a book that I'm kind of leaning heavily on for this series. But the point or the intention behind this series is to kind of face up to and wrestle with and, and be honest about some of the paradoxes that we do come across when we consider God and when we read the Bible. And a paradox is this kind of statement or statements that, that appear contradictory, but as, as David says, in reality, communicate and contain a possible truth. And when we, we think about God and, and when we engage with Scripture, there are quite a few paradoxes. And so last week, we, we started off with this one, the God who needs nothing, and yet a God who demands everything. And, and we, we used Abraham's story, and specifically that incident where, where God asks him to give up the most precious thing, or one of the most precious things in, in Abraham's life, his son. The God who, who needs nothing yet asks us to deny ourselves every single day, to take up our cross and follow him. And as we, we confront this paradox and the others that we're going to look at, it is really important to remember this second word. A doxology is an expression of praise to God. And, and so at the heart of this series, and my hope for this series, is that as we acknowledge the paradoxes, and yes, as we ask the questions, and yes, as we express our doubts, maybe, that we will, in that process and through that process, that our vision of God, our understanding of God, will be enlarged. And then as a result and as a response, we will worship and we will praise with all of our hearts. And, and so I hope this is a positive journey. That, that's what we're setting out on. That's the reason behind this. So let me introduce tonight's paradox. One of the most fundamental questions that many people today ask is, where, where is God? Where is God? And for many people, the answer is this, God's nowhere. Although there's a very subtle shift to this, God's now here. But for many, many people, God's nowhere. They can't see him. They can't physically locate him. They can't find him. And therefore, they deny his existence. But for others, they believe God. And, and I, I'm going to assume that probably the vast majority of people who are here tonight believe that, that God is everywhere. He is, to capture that belief in a word that you're maybe familiar with, he is omnipresence. His presence is everywhere. And then one of the best known and loved Psalms of the Old Testament, Psalm 139, this truth, this fact is affirmed when the writer realizes, listen, there's nowhere you can go to escape God's presence. And so if I go up to the heavens, God, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. And so on. But although that may be, and that is true, here's the paradox that believers have wrestled with throughout history. And I've no doubt many of us have been there or are here right now. How come the God who is everywhere, the God who is omnipresent, how come he often seems 
and feels so distant. I've quoted these lyrics before written by Martin Smith from the band Delirious, lyrics from his song Obsession. Sometimes you're further than the moon, sometimes you're closer than my skin. And there are times when God feels so close that he's literally touchable. Whereas there's other occasions whenever it feels like he's a million miles away. And here's the thing. There's more than an element of truth in both those experiences. God is far. God is near. Don Moan in his song, I Will Sing, has these lyrics, Lord, you seem so far away, a million miles or more it feels today. And though I haven't lost my faith, I must confess right now that it's hard for me to pray. An omnipresent God who seems so distant at times. It's a paradox. Now, one of the things I want to say and and mention relatively early on, and, and some of you would expect me and should expect me to say this, that when we talk about or refer to our feelings, God will be so careful. We've got to be honest because although we may not feel something, doesn't mean it isn't true. So just because any one of us don't feel God's presence doesn't mean God isn't here or there or everywhere. Although in saying that, I'm not suggesting or recommending that we deny our feelings. Feelings and emotions and experiences are part and parcel of who we are. And throughout Scripture, people express their feelings. And people are encouraged to express their feelings. So yeah, we do have to be careful with this. I don't want this to become subjective in a sense. But I also don't want us to deny our feelings. But let's go back to this biblical truth that God is omnipresent. Omni, as I understand, Latin for all. God is all present, present everywhere at all times. We've already heard the psalmist express that in poetic form and poetic language, but we also hear from what Paul said in Acts 17, God is not far from any one of us. And God himself declares in the form of a question to Jeremiah, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Do I not, Jeremiah, do I not fill everywhere? Plus, God promises his presence. Wherever we go, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. However, you don't have to look too far, too much further to discover from Scripture that that God is also somewhat distant and elusive. Even going back to that conversation with Jeremiah, I don't think I've ever come across or really, I've probably read this before, but I don't think I've ever really understood it or got it before, but God actually says to Jeremiah, am I a God who is only close at hand? No, I'm far away at the same time. There's the paradox. And going back to the Psalms, and you could turn to any number of them, listen to this familiar cry from Psalm 10, oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide God, when I am in trouble. An omnipresent, distant, elusive God. Paradox. 
Or here's an even bigger one to get your head around. God himself experienced the absence of God. So as Jesus hangs on a tree, what did Jesus cry? One of his cries? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? Now there's a paradox. <laughs> and so at one level, this, this kind of conundrum, this issue, this mystery, it's not ignored in Scripture. It's all over it. And in, in his book, Krish Kandaya describes this as the Moses paradox. Because although Moses himself regularly had unique encounters with God, he also had to face up to and struggle with the limitations of access to God. I mean, Moses knew the presence of God, but Moses also knew the distance of God. And so in the Moses story, for example, you meet a group of people, God's people, who are enslaved. God to those people must have seemed a million miles away from them. But we actually know that, you know, God was within earshot because God heard their groans, heard their cries. And as a result of hearing, even though they probably felt he's a million miles away, God has abandoned us. God remembered his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. So yes, the people may not have felt God's presence, but they, God wasn't far away. And after a number of twists and turns and highs and lows in Moses' life, we find him at one stage in, des in a desert place, and he's looking after sheep. And whenever God one day attracts his attention via an extraordinary bushfire, which we know burns but remains intact, and God, it appears at that moment, is intimately present. And so he calls Moses by name, but as Moses approaches, God says, no, stay where you are. Why? Because you see that ground you're standing on? It's holy ground. But hang on a minute. If God is everywhere, why is this piece of ground holy or holier than any other piece of desert space? There's a tension here. And it's a tension that, that Moses lives with throughout his entire life, a God who's near and yet so far away. And Moses gets another insight into this whenever he summed up Sinai to meet with God. And he summed up that mountain and he's called closer to God. But then God commands, his Mo commands Moses to make sure that people don't come anywhere near him. And so they're warned via Moses, don't you dare approach this mountain and don't even think about touching it. God liberates his people from slavery, calls them into the desert to worship him, and then puts limits around his presence. But if God's everywhere, how does that work? And Moses is then, as we know, given laws to pass on to the people, and many of those laws relate to how people will experience God's presence and how they will worship him appropriately. And then Moses receives instructions regarding this special tent, this tabernacle, that place where God's presence is going to manifest itself. 
But again, the paradoxes keep coming because although God has said that the reason for the tabernacle is so that he could live among them, dwell among them, and Exodus 25 verse 8 explicitly says that, it turns out that the actual tent is to be erected where? Outside the camp. And in addition, although the tabernacle was a year-round visible reminder of God's presence, access into the actual presence of God, access into the Holy of Holies was restricted to just one man, once a year. God is so near, yet seems so far. And into the bargain, why does the God of the universe need a tent if he is omnipresent? And those are the kind of questions that this paradox raises and continues to raise for many people. And from the time of Moses to today, people have wrestled with them. But if we're going to make sense of them, there are two more words that we've got to explore that help us to get a handle on this. And the first is imminence, and the second is transcendence. Imminence means God's near. God is close by. God is available. There is no place where God is out of reach, as Psalm 30, 139 confirms. The imminence of God means he's equally present in space and time. He's present in all creation. But, and this is critical, God's not to be confused with creation. Yet God may permeate everything, but he's not the same as everything because God is, and this is where we need to start wrapping our heads around this, God is distinct. God is separate from. God is other than. God is holy, or to put it technically, God is transcendent. God exists outside of space and time. God is above. God is beyond. And King Solomon captured this brilliantly in his prayer, a dedication of the temple. Solomon, you see, had the privilege of building a more solid structure than the tabernacle, than that special tent, although it carried the same idea. This was the place that was going to symbolize, this was the place that was going to contain the presence of God, complete with its own holy of holies, separated from everywhere else by this giant curtain. But as Solomon prayed, he said this, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot continue. How much less will this temple that I have built? You see, Solomon realized you can't box God. You can't contain God. You can't restrict God. Yes, he is present with his creation. Yes, he's close, but he's nearby, but he is also entirely distinct from his creation. He is above. He is beyond. He is distant. The paradox. Now, I know this can kind of seem maybe a little over-technical, but, but getting this right, getting this clear, getting this into sync, getting this in perspective is so important because unless we do, or if we don't, we end up emphasizing one aspect of this paradox to the detriment of the other. And so we create an imbalance and we actually are in danger of skewing the character of God. So we've got to wrestle with this. We've got to get this right. 
And so, for example, if we overemphasize the eminence of God, you know, the nearness of God, the sense that God is everywhere, you can end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And this happens. And creation, yes, is stunning. And there are times when we're lost for words at the beauty of it. We were created by God. It was created by God. There is this obvious connection and the stunning majesty of a dynamic night sky, a mountain view or an ocean roar, it can give us, yes, a spiritual experience. It's supposed to in some ways, but not so that we worship nature, but so that we worship alongside nature. We've got to strike the balance. God is imminent, God is close, God is nearby, but God is transcendent. He's different from Another associated danger here with this is you, you can become over-familiar with God. And he becomes the Almighty instead of the Almighty. And yes, we, we get and we embrace the imminence of God and the fact that he is near, but we neglect at times his transcendence. And we dwell on his closeness and forget the distinction and the distance. There is friendship, yes, there is intimacy. He is our father. Jesus taught us to say, Abba, Father. But there's also gotta be fear. Reverential fear. As Matt Redmond sings, there's gotta be the friendship and the fear. He is, after all, our heavenly father. And his name must be kept holy. But at the other extreme the other end of the spectrum, we can overemphasize the transcendence of God and, and we forget that God is near, that he is close. And, and a couple of the danger with, dangers with that imbalance is, for example, we don't expect God to be interested in or we don't involve God in the mundane aspects of life. And so we elevate God above and remove God from the ordinary. And so God only becomes reserved for special occasions. God's reserved for church. God's reserved for Sundays. Or God's, God's reserved for crisis. But in terms of the everyday, in terms of our work and our social life and our hobbies and our interests and our downtime, God's kept at a distance because we think he is so transcendent, he is so other, he is so distinct, that he's uninterested. Or another danger with a focus on the otherness of God is that it can lead us to a lack of intimacy and our relationship with God becomes very formal and cold. And this healthy, important father-child connection is lost or it's reduced or maybe even criticized. And I know there's probably lots more that we could say, but somehow we've got to understand and we've got to see that God is both imminent and he's transcendent. He is near, yet he's far. He is here, yet he's there. He is close, yet he's distance. It's paradox, but it's a paradox that contains truth. It's neither cold formalism or romantic sentimentality. A.W. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who, who wrote about this a lot, strikes a helpful balance when he writes, when we come into this sweet relationship, this intimacy, this imminence, God close, God nearby, God at hand, but then we're beginning to learn astonished reverence, breathless adoration, awesome fascination, lofty admiration of the attributes of God and something of the breathless silence when we know God. 
God is near. And in summary, the, the truth will be found in holding in tension our understanding of the God who's with us and present everywhere in the universe against the knowledge that, yeah, he remains distinct from all that he has made. But although all that's true, and, and as I say, there, there is so much more, but although that's true, there, there's another reason why God sometimes feels so far away. And those reasons have more to do with me than with him. You see, there are times when, when it's not that, that God has moved, but it, I have shifted. It's not that God is distant, but, but I am distant. And that occurs, for example, when, whenever I mess up, whenever I make poor choices, whenever I become selfish, I'm the one that creates space. I'm the one that creates distance. And although God calls me back and God constantly is calling me closer, I often feel in that situation ashamed and scared and inadequate. And I love the thought how it's no accident that the first time the question, where are you, appears in Scripture. It's not from people asking the question, looking for God. The first time that question appears, it's God asking it, looking for people. Because those people have messed up. They're the ones that have moved away. They're the ones that have created distance. And similarly, it was not Moses who was looking for God in that desert that night. He, like Adam and Eve, was trying to hide from the consequences of his own murderous actions. But God came looking for him. And our mistakes and our mess-ups create the distance that we often feel. But you know, God, and this is the, this is the incredible truth about this, this God... It's close yet, he's the one that comes to us, comes looking for us. And I think it's also fascinating, just picking up on the Moses thing, that, that God appears to Moses in a flame. Something that attracts, something that draws us close, yet something that forces us back because of its heat. The burning bush drew Moses' attention, and yet he was told, don't come too close. Why? Because of the dangerous heat of holiness. So take your shoes off. And this kind of ties all we've been looking at tonight, I hope, together. You see, God remains ultra-holy. God is thoroughly transcendent. God is totally other than but although it is for our protection that he keeps his distance, it's for our salvation that he comes so very, very close. And so in Jesus, and, and this is where I want to finish, and some of you have been sitting there going, when's he going to get to Jesus? Because surely that kind of makes, helps make sense of all of this. But in Jesus, and because of Jesus, we now have access into the very immediate presence of a very holy God. Because whenever Jesus died on that cross, and whenever he was forsaken, and whenever he was abandoned, why? Because of me. Because of my mess-ups and my mistakes and my poor choices. What happened at that moment 
whenever Jesus gave up his life on that cross, said it's finished, this huge curtain in the temple that separated the holy of holies from everything else, it gets ripped down the middle, gets torn apart, allowing anybody and everybody access into God's personal presence. Straight back into the holy of holies for everyone. And that cosmic and life-altering event ushered in a new era where God could be accessed. How? Through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Because as Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, now all of us can come. All of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. And so now, when we search for God, we find him. And when God comes looking for us, we can be found. But until that day, whenever we find ourselves in God's total, tangible, fully intimate presence, till that day, and because of the nature and apparent absence of the everywhere present God, we do find ourselves living with this tension. A God who's everywhere, yet can seem so distant. It's a paradox, but it's true.